radio. Maybe you listen to community radio all the time. Maybe you often stop what you're doing to listen. Well, maybe it's time for you to get behind the microphone. If you're an audio producer, or if you've ever dreamed of making waves in radio, there's an event coming up in Portland just for you. On January 16th, the Blunt Youth Radio Project is presenting the Great Northeast Radio Rally. Audio producers from near and far, and hopefuls that are interested in getting involved in radio, are invited to this conference of listening sessions, workshops, and panels, ending with what may be the world's first Audio Slam competition. Audio Slam submissions are due January 11th. For more info on the Great Northeast Radio Rally on January 16th, visit www.bluntradio.org. Support for Common Ground comes from Fields Pond Audubon Center, a green design nature center in Holden with walking trails, a nature store, pond access, and educational programs about habitat conservation for people of all ages. More information at mainaudubon.org or 989-2591. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Common Health with your host from Mafka is up next. Good morning and welcome to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. My name is Melissa White-Pillsbury and I'm the Organic Marketing Coordinator at Mafka. This is a monthly show airing on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. here on WERU. We're open to suggestions on future show topics and guests, so please contact us with your thoughts and ideas through our website, www.mofka.org. For today's show, we will focus our conversation on the changing dynamics of farmers' markets in Maine and how farmers and market organizers are responding to those changes. Sure, it comes as no surprise to most of you listening that the amount of interest and energy in local agriculture here in Maine has increased significantly in recent years. At MOFCO, we've seen evidence of this through the increase in interest in our new farmer training programs, like the Farm Apprenticeship and Journey Person programs. We've seen a parallel increase in interest in our other educational offerings throughout the year as well. We've also observed big increases in the number of farmers markets, community-supported agriculture programs, and other ways of buying local food direct from farmers. For example, the number of farms offering CSA programs has doubled to more than 150 in the last four to five years, and the number of winter farmers markets, that's just winter markets, has quadrupled in the last four years from just five back in 2008 to now over 20. Our guests today are veteran farmers, marketers, and MOFCA-certified organic farmers, Mark Guzzi of Piecemeal Farm in Dixmont, and Tom Roberts of Snake Root Organic Farm in Pittsfield, and we'll have a chance to chat with them in a moment. But I'm also joined in the studio today by several colleagues, or two colleagues, we're missing one, uh, and would like to give them the opportunity to introduce themselves first. Hi, I'm Cheryl Wixon, and I am Mofka's organic marketing consultant and biggest eater. And uh, <laughs> I brought, I know, you guys don't know this, but every time we have a show, I bring in another recipe for folks to test. So we just got done gobbling up some um, apple maple tea cake. So that was my recipe I've been testing. But uh, thank you, Melissa, for hitting us off. And I know that... Um, 
we've got some wonderful food still be, to be enjoyed right now around in Maine. So. That's right. It's root cellar season, isn't it? Yeah, tis the season of the roots. And we have a seasonal brochure out right now. It covers the months from January to April, which talks really about the types of foods that are in season, which would be in your root cellar or at your local winter farmer's market. Uh, and don't forget the shrimp season is in full in full swing. I get my first share of my community-supported shrimp on this Saturday. Nice. Russell, would you like to introduce yeah. yourself? Good morning. Russell Libby. I'm MAFCA's executive director. And uh, for MAFCA, the other big thing happening in January, besides eating lots of roots and mixing a few shrimp in from time to time, is uh, it's the agricultural trade show happens this coming week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at the Augusta Civic Center, and Tuesday's MAFCA Day. Um, I realized recently that this is our 40th, um, the 40th year of MAFCA, and I f- was thinking back to some of the stories of the first trade shows where MAFCA tried to have a presence, and it was like, why would you want to be there? Um, who are you? And <laughs> it was an uphill battle. And now our our events on Tuesday will be some of the biggest uh, of the trade show. Our, um, a couple of them are just recapping what's happened uh, in the past year, dealing with fruits and vegetables and um, crop issues that people had, but also a big session, new farmer training, what, what works for new farmers. Uh, and right after lunch, we have our annual meeting uh, any MAFCA members are welcome to uh, to come, participate, learn what's been going on over the past year. Uh, and we have a special surprise report to release that day, too. I think we'll also have um, a session, a training for farmers in the afternoon uh, to become vendors or uh, yeah, vendors for the Women, Infants, and Children, or WIC program. And we'll also have a session on... Um, insurance considerations for farms. And um, every year we also have uh, sessions on getting your questions about getting certified organic with um, our staffers at the MOFCA certification services. So quite a bit going on on Tuesday at the trade show. And um, as a segue into our topic for today, on Thursday there will, also, there will be a session to discuss um, the idea of developing a statewide farmers market association that'll be on Thursday at the trade show at 11 a.m. and um, so if the conversation today piques your interest make sure you come uh, to that session next week in Augusta. I'd like to remind you that you're listening to Common Ground an hour on local food and agriculture hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association and for today, we're focusing our conversation on the changing landscape for farmers markets in Maine and how farmers and, and market organizers and others involved with farmers markets are responding to both the challenges and opportunities that these changes create. We've invited a few guests, Mark Guzzi of Piecemeal Farm in Dixmont and Tom Roberts of Snake Root Organic Farm in Pittsfield. Mark and Tom, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Um, maybe we can start by having each of you introduce yourselves and um, give us a snapshot of your farm and how you sell your products. Tom, would you like to start? Yeah, uh, this is uh, Tom Roberts from Snakewood Organic Farm. Um, we've, uh, I've been going to farmer's markets since 1982 when our farm decided to um, try going to farmer's markets to increase our uh, cash flow. We used to grow 
vegetables and root crops, sell them mostly in the fall uh, into the winter. Uh, but what that meant was that our, between planting season and harvesting season, there was you know, very little cash flow. So we tried going to farmer's markets, uh, growing a summer garden, so we could bring produce to farmer's markets, and that seems to have uh, worked pretty well. Um, gave us a, uh, an increased cash flow, and every year we just kept inc uh, increasing that summer garden until um, we had several acres of it. Uh, so, uh, so at that time, uh, we were go I was going to the Brewer Farmer's Market. Um, uh, when we started uh, Snakewood Organic Farm in 95, we were going uh, to uh, several farmer's markets already. Uh, we were going to the Orono Farmer's Market, and now we're going to uh, Newport, uh, Pittsfield, Waterville, and Newtley Farmer's Markets. So we have five farmer's markets. We have five farmer's markets uh, that we go to, and that generates about 90% of our sales uh, during the year. Um, we're, we have about five acres of vegetables. Uh, we try to do as much season extension as possible so that we can uh, uh, provide produce for folks. So we can provide uh, produce for folks most of the year. Uh, we go to the, we, we, our farmer's market season is from uh, April to November. So, for <laughs> <laughs> let me explain that we're having a, uh, some microphone issues, so um, apologize for the, the kind of rustling sounds that we're producing here. Um, I guess it's a technical issue we'll, we'll work on for a minute here, and um, should we try the, okay, Tom, go ahead. We're going to try your mic again. <laughs> Hi, uh, this is uh, Tom again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we try to, uh, we try to uh, make our farmer's market uh, appearance uh, on a regular basis. We realize that uh, if, if customers are going to depend on us to be at the market, uh, we need to actually be at the market. Uh, we, f we feel that even on slow market days that uh, we just chalk it up to advertising. We say that our presence at the market is always the best advertising. There's nothing like being there to attract uh, the customers. They may go by and they see you there and they realize, oh, we can go there anytime, and, and anytime the market's open and, and, and shop there. Uh, we also have a, a debit type CSA. Uh, we wanted to do a CSA for years, but going to farmers markets, we didn't also want to do the box of food a week type CSA. So we, we uh, discovered that there were other farms doing what's called a debit type system, where people, uh, every share they buy in the springtime, gives, uh, we give them a, a credit at the market. So during the market season, they simply shop, they just draw down their credit by shopping. Uh, this allows them to... Uh, uh, you know, buy what they want when they want. And if they go on vacation in August, they're not losing out their box of food a week because they're just not drawing down their, their account. Um, this seems to work out pretty well. And the important part for us is it gives us, uh, solves our cash flow problem because like many farms, we have a huge outlay of cash at the beginning of the season for the seeds and potting soil and, and, and diesel fuel and uh, labor to help us do our, everything we need to do. Uh, so from February until uh, mid until the market season starts in April, uh, it's it's pretty much all cash out, and then uh, we're we're still uh, not breaking even until sometime in July. And finally, in July, we're actually bringing in more money than we're spending out. So, uh, so the uh, the CSA plan, which which uh, people have to join the CSA by the first of uh, April, that gives us enough uh, cash flow early in the season to be able to you know, 
uh, farm the way you want to at the beginning of the year without having to uh, uh, rely on totally on earnings from the previous year saved over uh, until next year. Great. Thanks for that. Um, Mark, would you like to tell um, us a little bit about what you've got going on? You know, I uh, own Piecemeal Farm in Dixmont, Maine. We raise uh, 10 acres of vegetables, which we primarily sell at the farmer's markets uh, in Orono, Belfast, Camden, and Waterville. Uh, I've been selling at the Orono farmer's market since uh, 1997, first as a student at the University of Maine, uh, Black Bear Food Guild, and then um, in 2000, I actually moved to Piecemeal Farm, which is where Tom started off and uh, started following his footsteps around the farm um, and uh, bought the farm in 2003 and we've been growing vegetables and selling them at farmers market all along. Um, I'm the chair of the Orono farmers market which means uh, uh, that I run the, the meet the annual meetings and uh, help run the market and um, Great. So part of what we wanted to talk about today is how the dynamics are changing of farmers markets in general um, and how the new influx of farms, um, new farms are affecting that and, and how the, the new surge in interest in local foods in general is affecting um markets or, or changing uh, the way you do business. So one of you want to take a stab at that broad topic? Well, back in 82, when I started farmers markets, uh, it was a, uh, there weren't that many markets in the state. There were probably uh, I don't know, 30 or 40 markets, farmers markets in the state. We were uh, f fortunate enough to get into one that was uh, uh, fairly young and growing and in a, in a city location. So uh, at that time, uh, there were a lot of people that were buying produce to bring in and selling, reselling it at the farmer's market. Uh, that, to many of us who were attending the market, were, were, was, just seemed a little bit like cheating, and it also undermined the whole concept of what a farmer's market was. People who shop at a farmer's market expect that they're talking and buying from the farmers that are producing the product that, that they're selling. And we found that there were several farmers mar several uh, farmers back then that were, were cheating by buying in, uh, you know, usually the early stuff, you know, the corn that, that uh, a week before anybody else had it, they would have it because they went down to southern Maine and picked it up. Uh, or they, would, uh, well, they wouldn't grow enough tomatoes, so they'd buy them in from somebody else. And they'd have this huge supply of tomatoes, uh, and it could be way before anyone else had them. So uh, we, we've, we've felt that the... The real goal of, of a farmer's market, marketing of a, of a market to the public, was to, to create an image of the market uh, that we thought that most people believed in already, and that was that it, they were buying the food from the farmers. Um, so most of the markets uh, now, uh, and we helped of, of for, uh, generate the first state uh, law in Maine uh, defining what a farmer's market was, which said you had to grow at least 75% of the product that you're selling. Yeah. Um, From the uh, from that at that time, most of the farmers' markets were started and populated by people who were selling vegetables. 
um, there were very few other people. That there was, uh, uh, by the late 80s, uh, we saw a lot of people coming in, uh, to the, at least to the markets that I was going to. Uh, we, see, we saw a few bakers start to come in, and there was always a discussion at the market as to whether or not it was appropriate to have bakers at a farmer's market because they weren't actually farmers. They were doing all their stuff indoors in front of an oven instead of outdoors on the fields. Uh, but it was felt that that was a nice compliment to the product line we had at the market, and uh, it wasn't really competing with anybody else. Um, so uh, we we, uh, we thought, well, okay, we'll let bakers into market. And then there was uh, over the over the years, the things that have uh, changed a lot is the product line of the market. Uh, soon, many besides season extension, of course, the vegetable people uh, back in '82. The market started at the 4th of July. The first day of the market was, was the first uh, Saturday in July, and we couldn't believe that it was starting that late because we had all this product before then, we, or, and we could have a lot more if there were people buying it. So the first thing that changed was we, ha we uh, convinced the powers that be in the market to uh, extend the market season, allow us to open in June and eventually in, at the beginning of May. Uh, and through various methods of season extension, uh, we're able to, you know, get our farms to produce more than the average garden uh, gardener can produce without who, you know, just casually trying to, you know, go out Memorial Day and plant their garden. We'll often have stuff that we bring in now to to the farmers market. We're bringing in stuff for people to eat before they even planted their gardens. Uh, the next thing that happened was a lot of the uh, the meat vendors, the people who are growing uh, chicken and eggs. There's always people with eggs, but but actually people that ha would have chicken and, and uh, beef and pork and lamb. Um, uh, was the, was the next big change in the farmers markets. Uh, this for the markets I'm in in Central Maine. This happened uh, in the mid '90s. Uh, more and more of the uh, uh, people who had meat as their primary product would, would start coming to market, and they had to learn this whole new way of uh, meat. Producers always have a problem that they can't really display their product quite the way that we can. Uh, they have to pretty much keep it frozen or on ice. Um, so, uh, but they all figured out how to do that, and uh, then then more people started coming. Uh, uh, were the people were starting to bring in cheeses, first goat cheese, and then cow cheeses, uh, and then uh, uh, let's see. Now, now, now there are a lot of fish. Uh, uh, people coming in and uh, with with product to market uh, which so what's happening over the past uh, 30 years is that it's gone from primarily vegetables and a few eggs to now almost a, a, a pretty wide line you can buy your entire dinner and uh, for most of the week uh, at the farmers market uh, through uh, you know breads and meats and fish and uh, of course wide wide range of vegetables and uh, you name it. It's, it's uh, pretty much there, there at the farmers market, and it's, it's all all locally produced. So this has been, as, of course, the the uh, flip side of that is that the shoppers at the farmers market have been delighted at, at the at the availability, and that oftentimes we'll hear people who have just come to just started to shop at the farmers market, just discovered it, just moved into the area, or their friend told them about it, and they started coming, and they said, "Boy, this is the only place I have to shop. This has got everything I need." So uh, that's that's the biggest change. It's from a few uh, vegetable farmers all competing with each other to to sell a, the the best looking and widest range of vegetables and get them in the earliest, to now almost a complete line of uh, 
of uh, produce at markets. And the nice thing about farmers markets is everybody's a specialist. Uh, people specialize in one or two kinds of products. Um, so you, you're actually talking, in, you can talk in depth with the people at the markets uh, who are producing whatever you're, whether it's uh, a chicken or, 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 or scallops or um, carrots, whatever it is, you can ask them in, in much detail about how to grow it and how to use it. Great. Um, Mark, maybe you could talk a little bit about your experience at markets over the last, what, 10 years at least, or around 10 years now. I know I've heard you tell an interesting story about your um, evolution as a mar as a, a vendor or a, a farm vendor yeah. at markets. Um, well, while I'm sitting here listening to Tom, uh, I realize that he's got almost more than twice as many years perspective <laughs> on this, which is sort of making me feel like a newbie to it. But um, We're all newbies once. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my, my perspective on farmer's markets is uh, mostly from my experience at the Orono Farmer's Market because that's where I've been doing markets since... Uh, 1997 and when I first uh, joined the market it was actually fairly new I think it, it would have been three years old so it started in 1994 of course um, there are markets in the state that have been around a lot longer than that uh, I think when Tom's talking about some of his stories he's talking about the brewer market um, so when I first uh, started at the Orno Farmers Market, uh, one of the uh, one of the things that I remember most about that was uh, the first year they had decided to move the Tuesday market from Tuesday morning to Tuesday afternoon because they had found that Tuesday morning wasn't working very well and. Uh, I was a student at the university and uh, signed up to, to participate in the Black Bear Food Guild, which was a student-run market garden in CSA. And uh, w one of the uh, goals that we had at the Food Guild was to increase our presence down at the farmer's market. And uh, so Tuesday afternoon, I went down to the or no farmer's market, and I think for the first three months, I was the only person there <laughs> on Tuesday afternoon. You're the only farmer, you mean? Person, period, person. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and my dog. Uh, and, um, of course, we started it in May that year. Thanks and, to Tom. <laughs> yeah. And so... Geez, I can remember sitting there and people would pull up, any strawberries? Or where's the farmer's market uh, right here? <laughs> any strawberries? Nope. And they just drive away. And I don't think that I broke $30 uh, any day during that. And then I can remember all of a sudden people's gardens must have been coming in and uh, there was uh, quite a few more vendors who showed up down at the market. I remember being surprised about that because I was kind of getting used to, you know, May, June, July. So this would have been like August. I'd kind of been getting used to being down there all by myself. Um, 
But when I was sitting in that parking lot, obviously I was thinking to myself, this is, this is going to have to be a lot better <laughs> to be worth anybody's time. And now that is just the most distant memory. Um, Tuesday afternoons, we have uh, 15-plus vendors at the Orno Market, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's about as busy a market as, as we could handle for a weekday markets. You know, the, the, the weekday markets tend to be a little slower than the weekend markets, but uh, we've really seen that Tuesday blossom into, uh, into quite a market. Um, and so, you know, Tom was talking about the expansion of uh, the different types of products that are available at the market. And I think that uh, not only has there been an expansion of the different types of products, but also the amount of each of those types of products. So whereas at first maybe you'd have one beef producer signing up to the markets and one baker uh, over the recent years, we've seen, you know, the markets expand to the point where we'll have multiple people selling beef and pork and chicken and multiple people selling baked goods. Uh, and I think that that's helped to really expand the customer base that we have down at the markets. I think that, you know, Tom's description of the expansion of the season and the expansion of uh, the number of products that are available has also gone hand in hand with the expansion of the customer base that we have at the market. Yeah. Hi, Russell. Um, just wanted to jump in and, and remind people that in the early 1970s, we were down to one farmer's market in Maine. So the Portland farmer's market has gone since the 1790s or earlier, uh, pretty much straight through. I talked to a farmer who was a vendor there during World War II, and he said basically it was in this little parking lot in the old port, and uh, his family was doing chicken, and they would drive in with their car and open the trunk and sell the chicken out of the, you know, the killed chicken out of the trunk. Mm-hmm. And that that was pretty much it for the, the market. In the 60s, it was down to just a couple vendors. And now we have 95 markets and um, during the summer, and it's really you know, driven partly by farmers realizing that um, people want to want to buy directly, but also uh, some of it's been the push of there aren't many large markets or mid-sized markets out there for farmers anymore, and so you have farmers who used to be wholesalers who said, you know, the only way I'm going to survive is to be a retailer, especially in southern Maine, and they've um, kind of jumped in in a big way. So there's some pretty sizable acres of vegetables that go through the markets across the state now compared to. You know, even a decade ago, it's it's you know, doubled in the last decade. I think Melissa from you know mid forties or fifty markets to to almost a hundred now. Yeah, um, I'd like to remind everyone that you're listening to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture, hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. And our topic today is farmers markets in Maine. And um, this is a call-in show, and um, we'd be happy to take your call. Um, The number here in the studio is 469-0500. And before we start getting calls, we'll just continue our conversation. Um, You know, Russell, you mentioned the the increase in volume, and I mentioned earlier the increase in new farmers. I wonder what kind of impact... um, 
you are ha- you're what you're seeing that have on markets is it mostly a positive uh, effect because um, of the increase in diversity, or is it creating some hardship um, in managing, you know, how many vendors to accept? But let's pause on that question because we actually have someone on the call on the phone already, uh, so we'll go back to that. Um, Hi, uh, please, can you tell us your name and where you're calling from and your, your question or comment? Yeah, my, my name is Stosh, and I know Mark and very well and Tom, and uh, I'm calling because you guys are missing the main point of a farmer's market. The main point of a farmer's market, of course, we all know, is the food and the things they raise because it's beautiful. But the other main point is the fact that when I come there, I form bonds with these guys. They're my friends. I see how hard they work. I want to buy their stuff because I know they're doing a good thing, and I know what they're feeding me is good. It's got good energy in it. It makes me feel good. I can feed my family. I raised my youngest son on chicken that was raised for the farmer's market. It was just incredible. And, and when you come, it's a social experience. You see your neighbors, you see your friends, and it's, it's an experience. It's community. And these guys are, have changed this community with that market, with their hard work. And we love them because they give us a good thing and we can talk directly with them. Tom is a font of knowledge. When you go to his stand, you say, hey, Tom, my tomatoes are looking a little yellow. What should I do? And he tells you how to do that. He, he says, hey, this is what you need to do. Or try this tomato. Or, you know, and, and Mark brought in a way of marketing the vegetables at the market at the time when he was talking. That's absolutely beautiful. The market changed, like he said, when they started to lay out and everybody saw how beautiful their vegetables were. And I just wanted to make sure these guys knew how appreciated they were for what they do, not just because they're giving us vegetables, because they're our friends, too. And that's it. Thank you for your call and your passionate response. Yes, thank you very much for that. Um, it's always good to hear from one of our shoppers at the market. Uh, and also good to know your WRU listener. <laughs> um, We've, uh, we, I often get people come up and uh, just stand back in my stand. Uh, you know, they're not shopping. They're just standing back and taking it all in. Uh, and they'll say, you do a really nice job here. And my, my response to that, I've often, I was surprised the first few times it happened. And yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful, and I intend it to be beautiful, but I'm, I'm really glad you noticed, you know. But, but my response uh, is usually has, has uh, come down to saying that, uh, you know, yes, uh, we've heard that many people paint in uh, watercolors or, or acrylics uh, and, and uh, we choose to paint in vegetables. Uh, and I usually get a kick out of that because they, uh, what I'm doing is I'm telling them that, yes, I understand this is art, you know, the, the uh, displaying it as an art and when, when you're done, you've got a, a picture made. Uh, it's, a, it's a compliment to me, not only when people buy my products or, or have the... Uh, they uh, realize have the confidence in me to ask a gardening problem, realizing that uh, you know this guy's a professional gardener. Maybe I should ask him what my problem is instead of going down and asking the clerk in the store who's got something to sell me. Um, uh, I don't mind if you uh, ask a, a gardening problem and don't buy anything from me at all because I understand that uh, my business as a farmer in a market and also the market as a whole is one of those. Uh, 
new kinds of businesses that you almost don't like to call a business because we have multiple bottom lines. Uh, one of the bottom lines is the economics, of course. You have to go home with enough money to make it worthwhile to come back again. But almost as important uh, is that the beauty of the interactions, uh, not only between the the shoppers at the market and the and the m- members of the market who are selling there, but also between the the members, the uh, the shoppers themselves. Uh, oftentimes, you see little clusters of people getting together and talking, and uh, it's it's sort of unfortunate if they're standing in the middle of your stand doing it because they're creating a traffic jam. But but it's it's always good to see, and I hate to shoo those people out mm-hmm. because uh, because I realize that this is one of the reasons that they're coming to the market. It's not just to do the simple uh, economic transaction of buying product at the market. They're looking to, for a, 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 a wider social experience. And um, our, my understanding of, of how I look at the business of my farm and the farmer's market as a whole is that um, this is a critical part of, uh, of what we're providing to our, the shoppers at the market. Um, right. it's, it's really something that's, uh, that, that's, that keeps people coming back almost as much as the, uh, the quality product does. Thanks, Tom. Sorry to cut you off. We do have another call, so we want to let them have a chance to, to ask their question. Can you, um, hi, you're on Common Ground on WERU. Can you give your name and um, where you're calling from? Yes, my name is Stephen, Stephen Bunting. I'm calling from Hope. Um, my, I guess what I want to talk about is uh, a few years ago, there was quite a lot of discussion about the mileage and pollution involved in uh moving food around the country, especially produce. Now, I, I shop at Hannaford's and Shores, and the majority of the produce on their shelves is uh, from away, uh, from California, from I, God knows where, but from away. It would be really, really nice to see that all their produce shelves filled with main vegetables, fruits, and so on. Um, what can be done to, about that? And I guess that's it. Um, this is Mark, and I just wanted to, uh, what the caller just pointed out was something I was thinking about in terms of, um, how the markets have changed over the years. And I think that, uh, sometimes you'll hear a critique about local foods and, uh, farmers markets. And there is, uh, this perception of, of, a farmer coming down to, the market with a pickup truck and just a few boxes of produce in the back and the idea that uh, that that somehow is less efficient in terms of fuel and energy and transportation costs than uh, um, trucking produce in, in large uh, tractor trailers all the way around the country. And I've read articles in the... Um, the New Yorker magazine and uh, in some books where they've made that critique. But I think one of the things that uh, has changed in the farmer's markets over time is that uh, as they've expanded in terms of the number of growers and customers and the amount of produce that's being sold is it's gotten a lot more efficient. Um, And uh, that sort of image and that critique of someone coming with a pickup truck and just a few boxes of produce in the back, yeah, while it still may exist, uh, these days a lot of people are coming with vehicles that are just packed right to the hilt, you know, fairly efficient small trucks. And and it actually is becoming a a more efficient way of uh, getting produce to market. 
Yeah, I, I, I was just looking the other day at the cost. Um, USDA publishes a price for truck, uh, taking a truck across the country full of produce. And a few years ago, that was $2,000, and then it went to $4,000. And right now, it's $6,200 to take a loaded tractor trailer from California to Boston and uh, you know, add a few a few hundred more to get it up to Maine. So you know, it's never going to totally offset um, the scale differences in agriculture, but fuel and, track, and trucking it across the country does make a big difference. And Stephen, sorry, we're not addressing your question uh, specifically, and but we do have another call. So I don't know if anyone wants to take it in 30 seconds or less. Yeah, so, Russell? Yeah, I, I will tackle that. One of the issues for supermarkets is uh, is getting to scale. And one of the places that people learn to get to scale is by doing a really good job at farmer's market and then realizing that there's a few crops they're really good at and can can go up uh, go up the next ladder. The real challenge in, is that supplying an entire chain or an entire supermarket chain requires a lot of acres. And um, a lot of people have said that they have to they have to focus on where they can make a living, and making a living for a lot of farmers right now is farmers markets. And it's going to take a while before we can jam the pipeline full enough so we can really make a difference in the wholesale markets at that scale. Thanks. Okay, caller. Um, thanks for calling. <laughs> uh, can you give your name and uh, where you're calling from, please? Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. Clearly. Transportation costs are driving the rise in food prices, and uh, it seems to me that the same thing is true whether we're talking about interstate transport of large amounts of produce or even a pickup truck load of a few boxes of whatever. Transport costs are very expensive. And I, I wonder if I could ask my friend Tom to tell us a little bit about Moose Trucking Collective, what happened to it, and what are the prospects for a locally operated produce distribution collective here in Maine today? Thank you so much for running this show. Thanks. Hi, yo. Um, yeah, that's a blast from the past. Uh, Moose Produce was a uh, wholesale produce operation, produce and cheese operation that uh, I was involved with back in the 1980 to 83. Uh, it eventually went out of business because uh, we went our markups weren't high enough. So we just couldn't afford uh, to hire the people we needed, and we couldn't afford to pay our bills. So uh, it's just it was a good idea. Uh, we just didn't know enough about how to run a business to make it work. Uh, a, 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 a something that's very similar to it, but in many ways superior now is uh, both Crown and Maine Organic Cooperative uh, run out of North Vassalboro, and they pick up produce and. Uh, Process goods all over the state and distribute them all over the state in eastern Massachusetts. Um, what we used to do was to try to do as much local buying as possible and integrate that with product we'd pick up from the uh, the Chelsea Market and just outside of Boston, the New England Produce Center. Um, what Crown of Maine is doing is uh, completely focusing on Maine-produced products um, and giving the farmer a fair farm gate price, and then. Uh, Offering that for to sale to buying clubs and stores and restaurants uh, all over the state and Eastern Mass, uh, and al along with them, there's several other smaller operations that are similar to that that have smaller uh, areas of operation. Uh, it's a great paradigm. Uh, not all work in f uh, getting food to people has to do with uh, producing it and selling it directly. Direct direct marketing is what farmers markets are about. They're one 
technique of direct marketing, such as as our farm stands or CSAs or uh, home delivery systems. Uh, there's many ways of doing this. So primarily, I've opted to uh, make my fortune in the farmer's market world uh, where I'm you know, producing product uh, that goes to farmer's market from, from our farm. Um, in regard to the previous call that talked about the cost of transportation, and, and you also referred to this, I think the, the cost of transportation, seeing that as part of the increase in cost of food, is, is only one factor. That's almost the tip of the iceberg. That's one of the sexy things you can talk about because people can understand it more, more easily. But there's also the, the way that the, uh, the people are treated who actually produce the food, the uh, federal subsidies that go into uh, allowing that food to be grown, whether it's water subsidies in California or transportation subsidies. And most of our garlic now comes from China. Um, the uh, you know there's grapes coming in from Chile in the, in the off season because they have a, a they're in the southern hemisphere. They have a different season than we do. Uh, what, but, but many of these costs are not actually shown in the whole uh, resulting price of the food because of various subsidies along the way. Part, and parts sometimes that's simply creating an infrastructure that allows something to happen and, and our federal tax dollars go into helping create that infrastructure. Uh, if that, that infrastructure doesn't help me because I'm just uh, driving my van of, you know, anywhere from 3 to 30 miles to market. Uh, so there's, there's the whole part about how you're treating the land, how you're treating the people, and how you're treating yourselves, the, as well as the cost of the uh, transportation. There's, there's all these different factors that have to do with uh, the, the, what the, the appearance and the cost of the food when it gets to the market. And of course, there's also the, the uh, age-old problem of the falling value of the dollar. Oftentimes, customers will say, gee, the, uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, you know, I, I could get uh, you know, a loaf of bread for 25 cents. And uh, I usually tell them that, uh, yeah, the dollar ain't, use, ain't worth what it used to be. Uh, and that's, that has a lot to do with the, uh, what people perceive as the, the rising cost of food because what they're, what they're actually measuring is the amount of dollars to, do, to buy something and uh, not the, the true cost of uh, what they're buying. Thanks, Tom. Um, we've got a little lull in our calls right now, so maybe we could go back to that question I started to ask about um, how all these new and beginning farmers are, are maybe are not changing the dynamics at farmers markets that that you've observed anyway. Um, our experience in Orono has been that uh, to date we've added more and more uh, vendors to the market, and I think overall we've seen a, as a result an increase in the customer base and an increase in overall sales of vegetables. Um, uh, of course, not every market has experienced that. You know, uh, we're also in other markets that, that we haven't seen that, that increase in sales over the course of years. Um, and it does seem, I mean, you're asking kind of a, an interesting question and it's one that, uh, that, we're probably going to have to start to deal with. It does seem that we're getting to the point where uh, we're going to start to notice the increased uh, number of people trying to sell produce locally relative to demand. And, um, and I think that it, it uh, puts the onus on us to, to continue to promote our, our markets and increase the try to increase the customer base. Um, and I'm, you know, some markets have a lot of the members 
have already felt as if uh, there are more than enough, say, vegetable vendors in it and have chosen not to add more vegetables into their market or more than enough bakers or more than enough meat people. Um, and uh, so I don't know what the answer to the question is, but it does seem as if uh, there's, there is the need to continue to increase the, the customer base for the, for the number of people who want to get into farming and selling at the farmer's markets. Hi, Tom here. There's a, there's a fine balance that every farmer's market, if they're doing their job right, has to, has to keep in mind, and that is the, the size of your customer base, which hopefully is growing either slowly or quickly, um, and the number of people who are there selling uh, items to the to the public. Uh, if you have too many people selling, then uh, for your customer base, then you've got you know, people that are going home with not enough money, and they're going to drop out of market. Uh, if you have too few people, then your customers are going to come and say, "Well, there's not very much selection here," so they stop coming. So each and every year, the, the farmers markets, all the, the the groups that run the farmers markets, have to consider: uh, Do we need another baker? Do we need an, another meat person? Do we need another vegetable person? As they consider all the people that apply to go to the market, um, one of the really exciting trends that I've seen uh, over the past, uh, especially the past twenty years, has been Younger and younger people coming into farming. There's people that are obviously, uh, I, I get uh, obviously starting out their life uh, uh, with with a, a goal of farming, just like I'm doing now. Uh, but they're you know they're just starting off doing it. And uh, if, you know pe people like Mark who get out of school and went right into farming. Uh, I dubbed around for you know 20 years before I got into farming. I didn't start farming till I was 35. And uh, it was, and I didn't go to school. I just sort of learned by talking to other people and you know trying to f figure out stuff on my own and so forth. Uh, but to see younger people getting involved in, in uh, farming at the farmers market level uh, is great. Now, one of the advantages of a farmers market is it takes very the threshold for getting in is very uh, very easy. Uh, once many, I always recommend that if you want to get into a farmers market, you apply to a half a dozen markets that you you would consider going to, hoping that one or two or three of them will will accept you because there's no, not every market needs another person uh, selling what you've got. So. Even if you would otherwise get in, if they needed somebody, if they don't need any more of your product, then they're not going to want you in the market because they their sense of the balance is that uh, you know too, too many of people selling that one product is 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 not is detriment to everybody else selling that product, and the the market members have to look out for each other's uh, welfare and make sure because the market if if some of the best people. Stop going to market because there's too much competition relative to the to the shopper, the base of shoppers. Then, uh, uh, then there's uh, you know that doesn't make sense for the long-term profitability of the market and the market members. Right, that all makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Tom. Uh, we do have a caller on the line. Would you please give your name and where you're calling from? Hi, uh, this is Bill. I'm calling from Stonington, and um, we uh, were vendors at the Stonington uh, farmers market. A uh, couple of comments. Um, on the transportation issue, I think the whole, I think we can agree that the more local a market, the better. So the more, the, the closer the vendors are to the market, the better, uh, for a number of reasons. I, I think the farmers markets um, are responsible for no less than 
we're sort of spearheading the movement um, for ratcheting down the ratcheting down of uh, global consumerism. The markets have become uh, diversified in that uh, I think it was, you know, the the whole thought and the idea of a farmer's market uh, drew people in, especially uh, with all of the the, the uh, newer emphasis on food and what we eat and how it's raised. Um, but now I think you're seeing more and more the markets are becoming uh, vending places for non-food items, crafts, and uh, even services. And I, I don't, I, I'm not going to say whether I feel it's good or bad. I think it, it depends on the local market and the dynamics. If you're crowding out local farmers because there's a limited number of vending spaces and you have people coming from 50 miles an hour, I mean 50 miles away to sell uh, bowls or um, you know any craft item or, or anything. Uh, is that good? Uh, I'd like you to comment on the. I'd like your guests to comment on the um, you know non-farm side of farmers markets, and I'll get off and. Uh, Turn my radio back up. Thanks Thanks. for doing the show. It's really great. Uh, I'm very happy to see Mavka on Wiru. Thank you for your call. Sure. That's a real good point. Uh, It's a a point that many times isn't uh, isn't thought about by uh, people in the markets. Um, Each market has to make their own decision as to how many non-farmers, non-actual food producers. I mean, whether even even if they want to have bakers come in the market, each market has to decide what they want to be. And uh, as you so correctly said, it's uh, based on, it's going to be different in Stonington than it is in Waterville, and it's going to be different than that than it is in Orono or in Portland. Every market's going to have, it has to do with how much space you have, what actual image of the market you want to project to the public, and, and many other things. Uh, so, yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a concern, uh, something people need to think about uh, in the markets, and uh, hopefully uh, that's something that market members around the state will be thinking about more and more. Thanks. Um, we do have another caller on the line. Could you please give your name and where you're calling from and then your question? Hi, this is Sarah Joy Chaples from the Down East Business Alliance. And I, I just wanted to talk about um, some of the shifts that we're seeing in, in farmers markets is the support that's available from the federal to the state and then down to the local levels. One of the things that we offer is the Maine Farmers Market Convention, and the first of its kind was two years ago. And we have one coming up in two weeks um, which is a it's a business training. Russell talked about how the markets or vendors went from being wholesale to retail, and there's a difference and a shift in how that takes place. So some of the training and support that's out there is shifting, and and that's kind of a great thing to see. Um, and I was wondering if Tom or Mark uh, would talk about what's been going on around a, an association. They're fighting over it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that uh, many of us in the farmer's market uh, community over the years have thought that that there was a need for a a statewide uh, organization that helped promote and support the farmer's markets. And, um, but of course, starting something like that uh, 
is quite a quite a uh, onerous task. Um, and so for some reason, it, it just hasn't happened. And um, But hopefully now there's a group of us who are getting together uh, with the help of the Down East Business Alliance and are trying to put the gears in motion to start a uh, statewide farmers market association. Um, uh, the convention that they've that they've been holding for the past couple of years uh, is something that um, was sorely needed, you know, with all these markets growing and more and more members uh, to the markets, you know, during the winter and our off time, having an opportunity to get together and, and sort of learn about uh, what everybody's doing uh, just makes sense. And uh, I think as a result of that convention, um, some people got in touch with the Down East Business Alliance, you know, seeing if they were interested in helping to start a statewide association. And um, they decided to help us out. Um, and of course, Tom, do you have anything to say about that? No, there's a uh, there's a uh, session to talk about uh, the sort of inform people and and ask for ideas and input uh, at the agricultural trade show on on the th Thursday at eleven eleven o'clock, uh, as well as at the farmers market convention uh, at the end of January. Yeah, that's January 28th and 29th at the Hutchinson Center in Belfast. And um, you can link to information about that from our website. Mofka is a co-sponsor of that event. So if you go to mofka.org. Um, yeah, I, I just want to add that um, you know, there there was a farmer's market association for a long time. And, and we'd be remiss in, in not mentioning that Tom was a critical player in in that and one of the one of the long-term challenges has been um you know making sure that there's a a group of farmers um market coordinators who also have the time to talk with each other and sort out these issues like the one bob raised about crafts um not to resolve them but just to make sure everybody's aware of how the different markets are are discussing and talking about these issues and how um, how the people who come to markets are reacting to them. So, you know, that that table where everybody talks these issues out hasn't been around for, oh, it's been, what, 12 or 15 years since the federation, main federation of farmers markets became relatively inactive. And, uh, you know, here's, here's a chance for markets and farmers from around the state to start sorting out how to, how to make that work in a, in a way that lasts into the future. I'd like to remind everyone that you're listening to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture, hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. And we are happily hosted here uh, by WERU FM Radio 89.9 in Blue Hill. Um, we do have time for another call or two. If any of you out there have any burning comments or questions, we're talking today about Farmers markets in Maine, and actually, we do have a call. So, um, could you give your name and where you're calling from, please? Hello, I'm Sonny from Penobscot, and I, I don't think the farmers markets really have much to worry about, mainly because of our infrastructure. Uh, the state of Maine is broke. If anybody, I dare any governor 
to drink a beer with me on the way from Bucksport to Castine and not have a catastrophe. You know, or a soda pop or whatever they, they like. Um, but uh, it's not going to be long before the huge trucks that are needed to supply these grocery stores just can't um, navigate the roads. So it's it's going to be like it was when I was growing up as a boy that there was a small store every five or six miles that sold bread and uh, donuts and you know, cigarettes and milk and beer and eggs, uh, the staples. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's, it's going to get back to that because we can't afford to improve our roads, let alone repair them. Um, that's about all i got to say. Thanks no, I'm, for I'm looking forward to the time when the local brewer and vintners are able to uh, join the farmer's market and sell their products. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. <laughs> right around the corner. Well, the, the, the transportation challenge is a huge one for everyone out there, um, not, just the, not just the people who are transporting food long distance to markets, but also you know, we need a basic infrastructure roads for farmers to get to the markets and for people who are coming in from the countryside to have access. But this distributed um, local retail market works if we all support it. And you know, I think that's one of the lessons from the food co-ops of the, of the 70s is you know, those systems work if we all support them and they don't work so well if we all um, you know, kind of go looking for the, the cheapest place to buy food wherever that may be, even if you have to drive an hour each way to get there. No, but I want to thank everybody for listening to our show today um, and uh, remind you that we are here the first Friday of every month, and I know that next month we're going to be talking about community-supported fish, another uh, recent development as far as marketing product, local product to local people. So I am very excited, and I have to say that... Um, I have known Tom. I've been buying from you for since the uh, I had my restaurant. I started in '86, and I think I started going to the market back then. And you were supplying my restaurant back then in the Bangor area. So I've always been real happy to see you come up to our stand. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to second Cheryl's thanks to Mark and Tom for being here with us today. Um, do either of you have any final thoughts? Sayonara. See you at the market. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks for listening uh, to Common Ground, an hour of local food and agriculture, hosted by Maine, the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association here on WERU. We'll see you all on the radio next month. Support for WERU comes from Inner Tapestry, Maine's holistic journal. Celebra